I'll invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 46 to 56, but I want to read from verse 39, which we looked at last time. But before we read, let's bow our heads in prayer again. Lord, we thank you for uh, the kindness of the gift of your word into our hands that we can read it. And we pray to help us to meditate upon it as we study together. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In those days, Mary arose and went in with haste into the hill country to, the town, to a town in Judah. <clears throat> and she entered the house of Zechariah and, and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt and leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations shall call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Each of the the Gospels has a unique way of telling the the story of the coming of Jesus into the world. And as we've noted already, Luke has its own peculiarities. Um, And one of the features of Luke in these early chapters is that he pays uh, particular attention to the sayings or the songs of various participants in the story. And... uh, in these chapters, there are what are commonly called uh, four songs of Luke's, in Luke's gospel. And they're all well known, uh, known by their Latin names, because the, the first word in the Latin translation of them um, is used to, to give it a title. And, uh, and so we have uh, the song of Mary, uh, the, and it's called the Magnificat. Uh, because she begins by saying, my soul magnifies, magnificat, uh, magnifies the Lord. Uh, further on, uh, 
Zechariah, in verse 68 onwards, um, is going to uh, sing, Blessed be the Lord of uh, the uh, Lord God of Israel. And the first word there is Benedictus uh, in Latin. So that's the first, that's why it's called Benedictus. Um, and then there's the Gloria in Excelsis in, in chapter 2, uh, where the the multitude of, heavenly, of the heavenly host praise God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, Gloria in excelsis. Um, and then the last one, which we're not going to get to in this series, uh, is the words of Simeon uh, in verse, chapter 2, verse 29. Um, uh, Nunc Dimittis, which sounds a bit strange to us, uh, but it's, it's now let your servant depart. Uh, let Latin scholars will tell you what that means, but that apparently means that. <laughs> let, let me depart. And uh, so we've got these songs here, and we come to the first of them this evening, and they give different perspectives on, on God's, what God is doing in his plan of salvation. In the coming of his son into the world, uh, these songs shape, um, express something of, of what it is that God is doing uh, and they give us this kind of panoramic view of God's saving purposes. Um, and at the center of the panorama, if you like, is the, the nativity of our Lord Jesus, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to look at the first of those songs. And uh, at this point, you'll remember that Mary has been visited by an angel, Gabriel, and told the remarkable news that she is going to have a child, uh, quite unexpectedly. Um, and it's a staggering piece of news. There's so many features of what Gabriel says to her that are staggering. Firstly, it's, he is to be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in verse 35. Uh, in other words, no man is going to be involved. Uh, so it's kind of breathtaking uh, for, for Mary and certainly for us as we look on and we think what on earth is going on here something supernatural is about to happen um, and some people will just automatically dismiss that because they don't believe in the supernatural but God is saying I'm doing something uh, marvelous in your womb but to remember that Luke has followed all these things up carefully this is the testimony of Mary this is what Mary has reported of of what Gabriel has said to her. And uh, Luke has checked these things out. He's not making this story up. He's reporting what he's found out. So there was no man involved. And Joseph, you know, if you read Matthew's account, he's, he's ready to divorce her uh, because of uh, this news. Uh, and to do so quietly, because he's a righteous man, he doesn't want to embarrass the family or anything. Um, but in the end, he doesn't, because... Uh, you know, if you read Matthew's account, he, was, he, he is met with a divine revelation. Um, and so he doesn't uh, divorce her. And then the child appears as promised. So, uh, uh, so this is the staggering kind of notion of the birth. Um, and the thing, about the, the, the thing that's so amazing about the son that's going to be born is that he is going to sit forever on the throne of David. In fulfillment of the prophecies of a king who would come and sit on the throne of David. 2 Samuel 7 is the start of that. Psalm 89 is another one. Um, you know, speak, 
David speaks about the covenant that God has made for, about the king. And this baby is going to be the fulfillment of God's promises of a Messiah to come. And, and now it's happening. You know, just imagine yourself thinking all these prophecies that you've read about from Genesis 3, 15, about the seed who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. And you read about it and you read about it and you read about it. And you, you just go through life and you're thinking, oh, that's amazing. This is amazing scripture. It's all written down for us. But it's probably not going to happen in my lifetime. <laughs> it's not going to happen to me. And then suddenly it happens. Amazing thing. And this baby is going to be the Messiah. No ordinary human being. The very son of God. Who's going to come conceived of the Holy Spirit. And then later when Mary comes to Elizabeth. Elizabeth makes this remarkable statement. Under the power of the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. She says in verse 42. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Not just her family. Nor... uh, amongst Israel, or just amongst Israel, but amongst all women, all, amongst all women on, on the whole of the earth, Mary is blessed above them all for this great privilege that she is going to carry this child and this child and give birth to this child into the womb. And this is no small thing for. Elizabeth herself to say because of course she has been barren for many years she's beyond the the age of childbearing normally and yet God has intervened in her life as well and through Zachariah has been able to conceive and she too is expecting a son um, uh, conceiving in an impossible situation and yet God who who can do the impossible does the impossible and John is expected, and he's a bit further on in his uh, con- conception and gestation in the womb. And uh, Gabriel comes to, has come to Zechariah, remember, and uh, her husband, and promised a child for them. And his name is to be called John. And, and so it, became tr- it came true. Uh, she conceived uh, in due course and... She was expecting a child. So Elizabeth might think of herself as blessed amongst women. But no, she says to Mary, you, even above me, you are blessed above women for the the child that you are going to carry. And, you know, she's filled with the Holy Spirit. Something amazing happens and the child uh, leaps for joy in her womb. And... uh, you know, it's going to be through a revelation of the Holy Spirit to her directly that this, this movement that is in many ways a natural thing and yet it seems to have coincided with Mary turning up and she just knows through this filling of the Holy Spirit this is the baby leaping for joy at this, the mother of uh, the son who's to be born. Uh, Mary's even more blessed than her. So something amazing and supernatural has been going on here and uh, in these two women. And Mary grasps this and she now responds to Elizabeth's uh, prophetic speaking uh, with this song in verse 46 onwards. Let me, let me just say if you make some comments about the, the song to start with. First of all, notice that it's a song from the heart. 
Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My, uh, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Uh, soul and spirit are often just interchangeable ideas. But it's the inner person rejoicing, magnifying the Lord, rejoicing in God, my Savior. And this is a song that comes from the very, the very center of her soul, her being. This is not just her repeating something that she learned as a younger person, but rather it's a heartfelt expression of praise and worship uh, to the living God. There was no, it's no orchestrated reciting of a meaningless text, but a heart that is responding to God himself. And she wrote the words and she sang them. She sang the words. And this is a, a, true, a, a sign of true devotion to God, that, it, that our worship comes from the heart. That we don't just go through the motions of worship, but worship comes from the heart. And that's what we're looking for when, uh, when, we, uh, when someone says that they've become a Christian. That, you know, do they have a heartfelt love for God, a desire to worship God, a desire to magnify the Lord in their heart and soul. More than, we're not, we're not simply looking for a formal response. We're not interested in people just joining the church and adding to the congregation. We're looking for a heartfelt response to God and all His grace and mercy and goodness. And just look at these uh, statements that uh, Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. It's focused on God himself. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. It is the very being of God that she is taken up with. He who is mighty, who has done great things for me, verse 49, holy is his name. And then she recites all the things that he is. He has done, verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted the hum- those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. All these things that God has done. It doesn't stop there. Now, if somebody gave you a great gift... I am sure that you'd want to tell people about the gift and all, of, all that you've received. That you might be, like, you know, like Mary, you might th- understand that she wants to talk to people about the identity of the, the baby now in her womb. But actually, during the song, she doesn't mention the baby at all. Interesting, isn't it? She doesn't mention the baby at all. Because she is totally taken up with God. Who God is. That's the amazing thing. It happens when somebody becomes a Christian and they truly grasp what the gospel is. They're actually taken up not so much with the gifts, although there are great blessings that are to come with being a Christian. But they're actually taken up with who God is. Remarkable. Transformation that happens. And so we, we see the real thing here in Mary. 
a real, living, active relationship to God whom she magnifies with all her heart. And she does so in a a spontaneous act of singing praise to God. This is what healthy Christians do when they hear the good news. They turn to God in praise because they're taken up with God. They can't hold themselves back. It's like a fountain overflowing. It just pours out with love and praise to God. Notice also that, um, so, you know, this is a very personal thing. It's my soul magnifies the Lord. But notice also that, that Mary had a really good grasp of the purposes of God in history, in the history of his people found in the Old Testament. Um, one of the things that you notice about the song is that every line expresses an idea that can be found in the Old Testament. Uh, and you can see this, if you, just, you just need to look at the cross-references. If you have one of those Bibles with cross-references, you'll see that it's constantly referring to Old Testament verses. And it's interesting because Mary probably was probably quite a young teenager. mentioned that before. Um, but she had evidently been schooled in the Scriptures and she had a love for the Scripture because she had a love for God. Because she loves God, how can she get to know God better? Well, she studies the scriptures. And so she's steeped in the scriptures. And uh, she uses that knowledge of who God is and what he's done uh, to, to pen this hymn of praise, if you like. You know, that, that's the best way to write hymns. The best way to write hymns It's not just to to give vent to your feelings, which is often what happens in modern hymn writing and songwriting. I feel this, and I feel like that, and I feel this. um, I could go on, but I better not. But the best hymn writers are are the ones who are steeped in the Scriptures, who have understood the theology of the Scriptures, who begin to speak in in different words but biblical truth into the hymns and songs that they write and uh, you know sometimes you listen to I'm not going to go off on a rant about modern songs because some of them are quite you know are are encouraging but but sometimes you listen to them and you think it's they're little more than some kind of soft terms of endearment Towards, towards God as though God is somehow your boyfriend or somebody once says your girlfriend. You know, and th- those kind of songs, they will not stand the test of time. You know, people in a hundred years will look back and think, what on earth were we thinking? What, what on earth was the church thinking and, and singing this so often in churches? Because um, they say more about the singer than they say about the God they're singing about, supposedly singing to. And instead of being filled with the grandeur and the majesty of God, they're often just filled with my own reader response to it, uh, to what, what I'm seeing in the scripture. So the best way we can engage in worship is to be steeped in the Bible. The best way to grow in love for God is to learn and to learn to express your devotion to God is simply to steep yourself in the Bible. Use the Bible to 
put words to your, uh, the, 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 the worship you want to give to him. Use phrases that David uses in his Psalms. Uh, use f- words and ideas from the scripture to express to God uh, worship and praise that he deserves. Rather than just talking about how you feel. Well, this song, um, we'll get to the song in a minute. Um, but the song divides uh, into two, two parts. Um, first part is, how great is this God who deals with the humble? Verses 48 to 50. And then, how God deals with the proud in 51 to 53. So let's just take those two things. And, and I've got a two-point sermon, basically. But how does God deal with the humble? And Mary recognizes her own position in this. Because she speaks in verse 48 of the humble estate of his servant. Now that's important to have that attitude. Uh, Mary may have been able to trace her line back to the great figures of biblical history. Um, Luke tells us that in chapter 3 that the line, the genealogy that leads to Jesus uh, goes through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and David. I mean, what greater kind of pedigree can you have uh, than these great figures of the Old Testament? And yet for all that, she, says, she has no delusions of grandeur about herself. Uh, rather, she sees herself as, as poor, as humble before her God. And it's not just that she's humble in her circumstances. You know, it's, it's quite possible to be poor, yet proud in spirit. I've met quite a few people who are poor materially, but very proud in spirit. But this is a, a teenage girl who's learned to be humble in her own spirit, to recognize that before this great God of hers, She is merely a creature, worse, a sinful creature. And recognizing these things, therefore she's she's humble before God. Yet the grace of God has come to her. She's recognized the grace of God is coming to her. That's what Gabriel told her back in verse 28. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you in verse 30. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God, or grace with God. God has been gracious. Now, was it earned? Did she she qualify? Did she earn it as a prize for something? No, because God has chosen her. God has favored her. It's the grace of God. And grace is purely of God's sovereign free choice. And it comes to the undeserving. The grace of God comes to the undeserving. In fact, it comes to people who deserve the absolute opposite. Who deserve condemnation. And yet God comes in his grace. To the poor. And the humble. And that's the God of Mary. That's your God and my God this evening. Now it's true that where there is grace... In somebody's life, there is humility. And where there is true humility, 
there is grace. It's one of the signs of grace working out in somebody's life. When somebody's a bit proud and arrogant and haughty, um, you, you're right to question whether they know God's grace. When they adopt a high-minded spirit, or maybe a domineering spirit, you begin to wonder if God's grace is truly present in that person. And this is, uh, I think, a, a biblical principle that uh, James and Peter uh, quote from the Proverbs. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, the humble know God's grace, but the proud don't know God's grace. And so Peter goes on to say, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. We're constantly trying to exalt ourselves and, and, and at least have other people recognize that I need to be exalted in their minds and in their hearts. But Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And this is what Mary has learned. Uh, in verse 52 then he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate I think it's perhaps one of the most difficult principles for us to learn that true humility, true poverty of spirit goes against every fiber of our being and it's contrary to everything that we've ever learned about standing up for yourself, about fighting your corner, about demanding the respect of others. People are constantly demanding respect today. And the most difficult thing before God is for, for people to give away their pride, all that, all that causes our pride, to give it away and just humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. All those good qualities that you might think you have, or I think I have. All those good things that you may or may you may have done for people. To hand all of that over to God and humble yourself before God so that He may exalt you. See what Mary says here in verse fifty, and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation. For all those qualities that you may or may not have. You're a person who most of all needs God's mercy. And so in verse 53, Mary uses this interesting term. She speaks of the hungry. He has filled the hungry with good things. And it goes with the idea of people who are humble. Just as humble estate, the humble estate of peasantry has a spiritual parallel of true humility of spirit, so hunger of economic poverty has a parallel in spiritual hunger. Hungry for what? Hungry for the grace of God. I think Mary had learned to long for the grace of God in her life, to be hungry for the things of God, to hunger under the smile of our Heavenly Father. To be close to God, to be in communion with God, to be hungry for that fellowship. So this, this evening I just ask you, is, is that, as we think of Mary here, it's good to examine ourselves in the light of that. It's like, do you have a hunger for communion with God that 
where you're willing to humble yourself before him. Who's hungry here this evening for God? And God fills the hungry with good things. Well, let's move on to the second thing. How does God deal with the proud? And so from verse 51 onwards, um, Mary speaks of that. And it's interesting, isn't it? She, she actually speaks in the past tense. We've, uh, we've noticed that already that Mary knew her Bible well. She's singing about past events. He has shown his strength, verse 51. He has scattered the proud, again, verse 51. He has brought down the mighty, verse 52. The rich he has sent away empty, verse 53. And in these acts, he is coming against a number of things. He's coming against intellectual pride in verse 51. The proud in their thoughts and attitudes of heart. Or or people who are proud in their position, verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Or he's coming against the pride of wealth uh, in verse 53. And the rich he has sent empty away. And you can read about all these kinds of stories in the Old Testament, of course. But I want you to make a link here that's important. Uh, God did this in the past. So the question is, is he still doing it? Is he still against the proud? And of course he is. He's still against the proud. He will keep doing it until the day that uh, Christ returns. And here's the link. What, what stimulates this rehearsal of the past from Mary? What, what makes her think about all these past things? Well, of course, it's the, it's the baby in her womb that's stimulating this thinking about how God has been acting in the past. That this Jesus is coming. This son is coming. He's going to sit on the throne, as Gabriel had said. And he will be the means by which all of these things will ultimately come to pass. That the proud will be brought low. That Jesus will make his enemies his footstool. As he sits on the throne. And Jesus now sits on the throne. He is at the right hand of the Father. And all enemies shall be brought under his feet. It's says. It's through this son, the son of Mary, that these things will come to pass. All the pride of man, all the boasting, all the intellectual arrogance, all the power, all the influence, even proud morality, all of it will be cast down. As Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, um, all this will be utterly demolished by the Son of God. Demolished, destroyed. It's a dangerous thing to be proud. Sometimes we hear it in the world promoted as a good thing. Pride this and pride that. Demanding respect. Constantly demanding respect. God opposes the proud. Gives grace to the humble.
Well, as we finish, Jesus Christ came to crush all of that. He is how God helps Israel. Verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And there isn't time to go into all of this, but Jesus Christ is the true Israel. Jesus Christ is the true Israel. And in him are all true Israelites. In other words, Christians grafted into Christ are part of the true Israel. Jesus Christ is the true offspring of Abraham, by whom, in whom by faith we all become the children of Abraham. And as God spoke to Abraham, so he continues to speak to us now. Jesus has come to stand, as it were, everything on its head, to exalt the humble, to bring low the proud. And do you know how he did that? By turning his own life on its head. There is a hymn that we sing at this time of year. We'll get to it eventually, I guess. Lord, you were rich beyond all splendor, yet for love's sake became so poor. And in giving up his rightful place of ultimate honor, as Philippians chapter 2 says, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead humbling himself, taking the form of a servant and becoming obedient to the point of death. This Jesus came as a baby to grow to become a man, to go to the cross, to bring down the self-regarding proud people, the rich and the mighty, and instead to exalt his own people, his people who have come to understand that they are in poverty, yet they have come to love and to fear God. Our Savior Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the amazing a gift of your son Jesus Christ that fits in with this great plan of salvation that you oppose the proud but give grace to the humble and you will exalt the humble through your son Lord God we pray you'd help us to know him to have a desire for close fellowship and communion and worship of the living God we pray in Jesus name Amen <clears throat>